kind of got our start by doing hackathons, including hacking a Tesla to uh, make it pay for itself when it goes through a toll road uh, using Ethereum. Hey, I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today's guest is Hudson Jameson. He's been involved in a variety of Ethereum projects, the latest being Flashbox, which is a research and development organization working on mitigating the negative externalities of current MEV extraction techniques on Ethereum. We also discuss mental health and diversity in the crypto industry. Hi Hudson, thank you for joining me. You have a, an extensive background in crypto projects, so I'm really glad that you took the time out to speak with me today and love to learn a little bit more about you. So again, um, glad that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is uh, really exciting. Yeah, it is for me too. There's so much you've worked on and done. So, you know, before we get into your background of being in the USAA, Ethereum Foundation, the Ethereum Cat Herder, Zcash, Flashbots. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what were you doing before you even heard about cryptocurrencies, before you even heard about Bitcoin? Well, um, I guess I've always been as a kid, like really interested in computers and video mm -hmm. games. Um, before I had friends, um, I would just be on computers and joining <laughs> online communities like a lot of yeah. people um, and got into like RuneScape and a thing called Cartoon Orbit. Oh, RuneScape was uh, good. I, was, I remember that. Yeah, RuneScape was <laughs> awesome. Um, and uh, after, you know, middle school and getting into high school, I joined all the computer classes I could in high school. None of them, there were programming classes, but like I grew up in uh, Northeast Texas in the U.S. Okay. Um, in a smallish town called Texarkana. So like the options weren't like super available for, you know, computers and programming classes that were sufficient to like actually teach you. It was kind of like they just throw a book at you. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, Here so, it is. Uh, yeah, but I did in high school play around uh, with network security and got really interested in like hacking and network security and penetration testing and stuff like that. So I did like a high school like uh, advanced credit project for with war driving where I put like a antenna on top of my car and uh, plugged it into a laptop and drove around and mapped out the city's Wi-Fi and like oh, took wow. statistics on how many were you know open networks versus secured by this uh, this protocol versus another protocol yep. and uh, did a whole report on that and so that was that was a fun fun thing to do and my whole idea before crypto was I was gonna do network security, penetration testing, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's what I was training for before I fell into crypto. Wow. It's pretty awesome. I can just imagine you driving around in a car with an antenna sticking out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now yeah. we have our cell phones. I can just do that for us, which is pretty insane. Mm -hmm. uh, did you ever look into cryptography before that or was cryptography just new it, to you when you heard about crypto? It, it, cryptography definitely was interesting to me. Um, like, I ran one of the earlier versions of Hashcat um, to like crack passwords okay. um, and stuff. So I had to look into stuff for like, what does this mean? What are all these different, um, you know, types of things you could, you know, password crack? And why does it take longer for GPUs versus CPUs and stuff? And so um, that was um, kind of an, a way that I got involved in enjoying cryptography topics, but I never got deep into the math or anything. Mm -hmm. It was one of my favorite college classes. I had a computer science degree and uh, I did computer security, network security, and like cryptography. And um, it was enjoyable and I learned a lot that I kind of carry over into understanding some crypto things today, but I never applied it viably for like work or anything. Gotcha. And did you, ha did you have like a job right out of college that you were working at before getting into crypto or? 
Yeah, yeah. So I discovered uh, crypto, specifically Bitcoin, in 2011 mm-hmm. while I was in college um, and um, did some projects in college around mining and just kind of kept up with it. But uh, my first job out of college was a bank and insurance company called USAA. Um, and that job was really cool because it was one of the better banks in the US to work for. They were really relaxed about uh, like the needs of their employees or not relaxed, but yeah. like they supported employees basically. Uh, and at first, the first year I worked in the entrance department um, doing mainframe development with like COBOL and stuff. And I sucked <laughs> at it. I was never a great developer in the first place. I kind of just, I guess early on the plan was to get a computer science degree uh, or this was like kind of my plan plus mom's plan. <laughs> like we worked together on this where it was like, get a computer science degree. So then you can manage people yeah, later. She knew what she was talking you about. Don't have to, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so uh, it turned. So then, um, I basically annoyed my bosses at USAA about my cryptocurrency obsession and like stuff with smart contracts and blockchains enough that they moved me to the innovation department to lead their blockchain program in 2015. Wow. So yeah, that was pretty early for USAA. So while I was there, I worked on like proof of concept six of Ethereum. Like, uh, so this was yeah early 2015 or. Or something like that. Uh, we did some internal hackathons where we made some smart contracts to do uh, check representment, which basically means you would compare two checks using the Ethereum blockchain to see if they've been deposited at a different banks uh, to prevent fraud. Now, they're still using this today. Do you know if they are? Oh, it was a hackathon project inside okay. USA. They never put it in All production. Right. Uh, th- uh, there is a patent for it that I did get awarded, nice. like my name on it, but it, USA owns the of course. Uh, IP. <laughs> yeah, they they <laughs> funded the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Still kind yeah, of Yeah, it's awesome. I don't have any patents under my name, so <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> and that's that's awesome how they actually were allowing you to innovate and go out with this because so many companies just shut down the idea of blockchain or cryptocurrency immediately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's It definitely has had its up and downs. Innovation used to be a big part of USAA. I've heard recently it's kind of waned, but um, yeah, they've been, they were very open, at least while I was there to blockchain stuff and uh, having me get involved in um, different initiatives to study the uh, like different consortiums. And like this was before we had Cosmos and uh, before we had a lot of different things. There was just like Bitcoin. And then there was like one private uh, blockchain, like consortium blockchain project. Uh, that used Tendermint, and it was called Eris Industries, and uh, they like they renamed themselves to something else later. But um, it's it's just really weird to think back to the oh, and Consensus was just starting out too. So like we had calls between like USAA, a USA executive, myself, and like Joe Lubin, wow. like back in 2015 uh, that did not go anywhere. <laughs> but it's still a good conversation to have because now they're thinking about it. Oh, we could have done things so much more differently, but. Mm-hmm. Everything is hindsight. So then yep. you were working at USAA and then you moved into the Ethereum Foundation because of your work there and you got recognized for it. Um so the um transition between uh oh oh here here's what it is. So the during my time at USAA, I got really obsessed with Ethereum. Like the white paper really stuck out to me and um I got involved in the community moderating the subreddit and I saw that DevCon one in twenty fifteen was happening. And so I scrounged some money together and flew overseas and uh, to London and went to DevCon 1. And the first day I was there, I got there early, and I saw that there were not enough volunteers. <laughs> there were there was just a lack of people being able to do stuff, and everyone was running around panicking. So I said, how can I help? And 
I got put in charge of uh, helping with badges. I helped do some of the scheduling. I sold t-shirts. I was a timekeeper. I helped interact with AV and the convention, like the center, the uh, building staff, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. So basically, I was running around doing just whatever they needed <laughs> me to do. And um, in that, I got recognized by the executive director at the Ethereum Foundation at the time, Ming Chan, who um, kept in touch with me and offered me a job um, a bit after I was there. Or I should say, I got offered the job like months after, but I had to wait a few more months after after yeah. that because of work. Uh, but I left in June of 2016 from the uh, US from USAA to join the Ethereum Foundation initially to work on DevCon 2 and to um, do DevOps work were the two primary things. But while I was at the EF, I did like a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, it's. I feel like that's a great way to like, you know, describe your startup story is just jumping from different job to job, talking to people, networking. And I think it's pretty difficult to accomplish that now because now you really have to show your credibility, your proof of work on like GitHub or whatnot. And it's awesome that you had the opportunity to actually scrounge up enough money to go to DEF CON. That's an awesome story. Yeah, no, it, I mean, really, interestingly enough, with Ethereum, especially in the early days, yeah, if you if you showed up and you contributed code to GitHub, if you contributed volunteering at conferences on managing discords or discord wasn't it, so managing Gitter mm-hmm. or uh, any of those kind of chat channels or Reddit and being prolifically posting on Reddit or Twitter, you would get somewhere. And that still applies today to an extent. Um, it's a little harder to navigate, but like we're so thirsty for talent in the like crypto space within the jobs that we are like the jobs and startups and uh, projects that we have that like if you show initiative and have any kind of relevant experience or even if you don't but you're willing to learn and you like put your time into like getting certifications that might be relevant from like Coursera Mm -hmm. then you know you get somewhere like it it does happen it's just uh, it I guess I would agree with you though it is more difficult to do just because we're larger so it's hard to know where to start and who to talk to definitely and I Definitely had a, like an experience like that myself uh, back in 2017, just being super active in the Ethereum subreddit. And I think they started their, their own Telegram channel or chat. And I was super active in there and then also made a bunch of friends and you know stayed connected. That's what kind of helped me network in the cryptocurrency industry. And I'm still using that today. So yeah, for anyone listening, it's always just stay active and contribute quality material. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's... Um and Ethereum's super unique in that even though we've grown, it still feels small mm-hmm. to a lot of people. Um, and there's a lot of now sub-communities that are very welcoming. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a good deal all around. Yeah, yeah early Ethereum was different <laughs> because, like, we all, like, were very, like, wide-eyed and idealistic. And a lot of us still are, but, like, there's been so many events that some of the like i guess veterans or like old timers for ethereum are kind of battered and beaten now (laughs) to the realities of like sec enforcement and 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 uh you know major hacking incidents and people losing a lot of money and crying to them and getting scammed and it's not our fault we're trying to help but we can't yeah that's the thing about crypto too is you really own your own money it's it's yours no one else can Mm -hmm. help you bring it back it's it's yours, so your responsibility. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And then, so you're in the Ethereum Foundation. You're working there. You're. What's your next step? What's your next move? Are you hungry for more? Or are you just looking for opportunities? <laughs> yeah. So I, I 
in 2016, I joined the Ethereum Foundation. Uh, DevCon 2 was in Shanghai, and that was successful. Um, me and my spouse, Lilith, worked DevCon 2 and helped, did a lot of things to help run it. Um, during that time, we all, also, I was kind of put to be responsible for revamping the EIPs, Ethereum improvement proposals, because mm-hmm. they weren't very active at the time, and the EIP-1 had been stagnant. So I rewrote EIP-1 in 2016, 2017, like maybe early 2017, and got some more editors together. Um, I also started up the, or restarted, however, uh, rather, the um, all-core dev calls, which are the, uh, every two weeks there's a Zoom call with like um, all the Ethereum core developers from different client projects and stuff like that. Um, and we figure out if there's, you know, when there's security vulnerabilities, we talk about it. We uh, talk about what's going to be going into hard forks, how to do network improvements yeah. and things like that. Um, so we, I ran that until April of this year. Um, and then Tim Bico took over. So that was kind of another thing I picked up while I was at the EF. And then our communications lead, George Hallam, left. Sometime around 2017. So I took on their role as the communications lead for a year. And then through other circumstances, I became this org security lead. So kind of like the person who makes policy decisions for security in response to internal hacking incidents. Um, I did that for a few years. So I got experience there. Oh, (laughs) in the middle of all that, I I almost forgot. Um, I did a startup with some friends uh, called Oaken Innovations. Okay. Um, which is an IoT and blockchain startup where we um, kind of got our start by doing hackathons, including hacking a Tesla to uh, make it pay for itself when it goes through a toll road uh, using Ethereum. Uh, and we won a Dubai like like worldwide hackathon for like $100,000, and that was our startup. Wow. <laughs> now, so that's awesome. So you, you guys and your team hacked. I guess hack the Tesla. How did that even work? How did you? Yeah, so I say hack Tesla because that's kind of like the, the line <laughs> yeah. to go with. But like in reality, uh, we use the ODB port or OBD yeah, OB. port, uh, which is basically yeah, it's like under the steering wheel usually, and uh, it'll give you data from what the car's doing at that current time, like where it's going, how fast it's going, if it's turning, yada mm-hmm. yada, and we're translating that data into uh, and 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 attaching GPS data to it in order to figure out where it is on the road and if it's going through a toll a tollway and then we also have the uh receiver what's it called the um we had like a like a little like fake toll road yeah like transponder in the middle of the window and it uh would indicate when it went through the toll road we could combine that with the car's data from the uh port and then pay for it on ethereum without going gotcha. through a bunch of different silos that's the thing i wish i would see more of is like i want startups to use ethereum to be the middle person disintermediator more like to be something that breaks down these business silos that have been like whenever you pay for a toll mm-hmm. right now you uh have your credit card attached to some page for your toll road and then they go through like probably six different systems some of them probably as old as the 1970s in order to process process the payment and process the information about where you are on the tollway versus when you get off the tollway and that goes through like old school ibm systems and all this other crap and it's like take all that away have one smart contract that is also the payment rails and think of how much simple simpler that is but like and that's what people used to look at Ethereum. Now I've said like a rambling old man. That's what they used to think. No, <laughs> that's, that's what people used ago. to think about Ethereum and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like like you know, four years ago. Uh, but now it's kind of changed to like, you know, it's still that's still kind of in 
an idea, but like it's not the focus. Yeah, and that's like always a battle too. Is you always hear people saying, "Does it need a blockchain? Does it need to be on Ethereum? Does it just need a yeah. basic database?" So it's always that: is it worth it or not? And it's always a plus. Anything with like tolls and government regulations, tough to crack into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we I did Oaken Innovations while working at USAA, and that was a mistake uh, because there uh, that's a lot of work, yeah. and I got burned out. So I I quit Oaken Innovations after a year. Um, but then I, I helped them a little bit after that, but like not unofficially. Um, and I went back full time to, to Ethereum Foundation. Um, and I, when I went back to the Ethereum Foundation, um, there was a transition from the old executive director, Ming Chan, to the new one, Aya Miyaguchi. Um, and so I uh, did some help in facilitating parts of that. Uh, and um, getting Aya onboarded. Um, and yeah, I think after that, I kind of st- kept working with DevOps. I did some community initiatives. I co-founded the Ethereum Cat Herders uh, in 2019, like January 2019, uh, with a few people. And um, that's been very successful. They're basically an educational and coordination organization within Ethereum that does note-taking at meetings and also releases uh, YouTube videos with education. Is this stuff. Um, an automated software you develop with your team, or is it like team members who help with project management? Oh, it's team members who help with project management, like a DAO, but we're not really DAOified mm-hmm. yet. Uh, it's just people helping with project management and kind of becoming experts at Ethereum. It's a good way to onboard yourself to Ethereum because if you're a note taker for the core developer or ETH2 meetings, uh, then you learn a lot really yeah, quickly. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah. So like, and we publish those notes uh, to the, you know, a GitHub repo so everyone can see them and correct them if they need to and stuff like that. Man, you're, yeah, you're going so many different uh, places in the industry. It's pretty amazing how quick you transition. And then you know, you're still doing all this and then you have time to be also part of a Zcash open major grants. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so just for timeline's sake. So I guess I did... I think it was between 2007 and 2008 is when I did Oaken Innovations. I was still at the EF, and then Cat Herders was January 2019, and then I got involved in the Zcash. Com- I've I've um, not been officially involved in the Zcash community, but like I've been adjacent to them since at least 2015. No. 2016 um because like that's when i met i think zuko and um a few other of the zcash scientists uh who were developing an early iteration of zcash on ethereum i think this was you know like a little bit after the dow it was called uh baby zoe and it was a way to put zcash on ethereum but like there would need to be a lot of updates with uh low-level pre-compiles in the client code that weren't there but it was so it was a proof of concept uh but all that to say uh, from there, I went to ZCon Zero, which was like the first Zcash conference. Um, I think that was a year or two later. And so I got to know more of their team, and I spoke there on how Ethereum and Zcash are kind of cooperative. And really, like, I feel like of all the other blockchain projects, uh, Zcash is the most friendly to Ethereum. And like, we're, we're kind of like besties. Zcash and Ethereum are besties. So um, we have a lot of uh, back and forth. We share technology. We've done partnerships with them within the EF. Um, so then in 2020, I ran for the Z- Zcash Open Major Grants Committee, okay. um, which was an election that the community voted on um, for who would decide where grant funding goes. Oh, and this is important. The grant funding comes from a block reward subsidy in Zcash. Oh, wow. So uh, the Zcash block reward um, used to have part of the block reward go to founders. 
And then that expired after like, I think two years. Um, so then it was like, well, what do we do with that part? Do we give it back to miners or do we do like block reward funding? And so they decided on block reward funding where a portion of it goes to the electric coin company, the for-profit Zcash company, Zcash foundation, the nonprofit, and then ZOMG, which is technically under the Zcash foundation, but independent entity and in that it makes its own decisions. Oof, that's a long hierarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh, each, yeah. each of those have a different block reward and our block reward is in the millions by now, like accumulated and we've given out millions. But um, it's a five-person committee. I'm running for re-election right now for that, and um, that's going pretty. And it's well. all voted on under the block, the Zcash blockchain. Uh, the so the election isn't oh. actually none of the voting happens there. Oh, no. okay. The Zcash blockchain uh, is pretty simple compared to Ethereum in that it, it it's a UTXO blockchain like Bitcoin. It's a fork of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. so they don't have like DAOs or voting mechanisms that are advanced. They have very very simple smart contracts. Okay, gotcha. Wow. So now you're here and now you're still working for or still part of Ethereum Cat Herders. And you've also recently moved to Flashbots and helping their community. Yes. Um, I left the Ethereum Foundation in April. Um, five years was a long time to work in crypto anywhere yeah. for continuously for, um, for me at least. Uh, so I left and uh, then I took some months off. I had a stint in, the, in a mental hospital. I voluntarily put myself in for the month of July. Wow. That was well, exciting. Can I uh, <laughs> ask more about that? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm very open about my mental health um, and happy to talk about it. Yeah, um, I guess why did you? Was it just too much going on in your life with work and you had to take a break, or um, is it more? Yeah, so I guess why I went. Um, I had also been at voluntarily entered one the year before in 2020. Yeah, 2020, and both times it was because like my mental health problems had gotten to a peak where I felt it was best that I was in a safe place where I could be evaluated. Um, and my mental health problems consist of uh, OCD, um, ADHD, primarily inattentive, because they have like new designations now for ADHD. Um, okay. And then there's also bipolar type 2, um, and uh, I think I might be missing one. Yeah, anxiety. So basically... I have this mix of stuff and I'm on medicine for it. And the medicine sometimes doesn't work or like, not like sometimes doesn't work, but after a while it'll wear off. Yeah. You get used um, to it. So like I was, yeah. Yeah. So like my body gets used to it and stuff. So I was taking a variety of medicines and um, I came to a point where things were overwhelming. I wasn't getting out of bed. Um, a lot of my symptoms uh, revolve around um, uh, suicidal ideation. Okay. So not actually having like going and committing suicide or trying to or anything like that. It's just like obsessive intrusive thoughts. So the thoughts that you don't want to have, but they're just going to happen anyway. Okay. So yeah. So basically they were just happening and happening, you know, sit laying there for like four, six hours, not being able to stop thinking about it. I was like, going to put myself somewhere yeah. safe, <laughs> going to put myself somewhere where I can get evaluated. And so I went to a very, very good clinic. So the first time, and I guess in 2020, this happened, I went to a place that wasn't as good. It was still the best one in my area, yeah. but it was like an actual psych hold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. This one I went to recently in July was called Menninger, Menninger Clinic in um, Houston, Texas. And it was a three week stay and had a lot of great amenities and excellent food. Everyone was nice. Uh, I had a, like a, a doctor and psychiatrist and therapist uh, like designated to me, like uh, like assigned to me, mm -hmm. I guess, to evaluate me. And we did like genetic testing and all kinds of 
neuropsych testing to figure out where my root issues were and what medicines I should be on. Um, so that was that was a lot yeah. of fun. Well, I'm glad they looked into their root issues too, instead of just trying to put drugs on you and like, hey, Garrett, go on with your day. Like, it's good that they're actually trying to help the mental health. And it's good that you went on on yourself too. It's you know amazing. So congratulations on that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I recommend everybody do research before you go. I didn't do as much research in 2020, and I ended up having to pay a large ambulance bill. Like when I got to a place, they didn't have room and they had to bring me to another facility. Oh, wow. And then also I didn't realize certain facilities, once you enter, you can't leave till they say so. <laughs> that's scary. So, yeah. Especially if you're putting yourself yeah, so in. Yeah, exactly. So it, it just really varies place to place. But if anyone who's listening has any questions on this, my Twitter DMs are open. Like I'm an open book and you can ask me questions about this or about Menninger Clinic or anything. Amazing. Yeah. If anyone is looking into that, please take that offer up. Yeah. Oh, I went to Flashbots in September. That's yes. where I was getting at. <laughs> so after I left there, I, I joined Flashbots in September and um, I've been there for about a month, month, yeah, almost month and a half, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, I remember you posted on Twitter saying that you're joining Flashbots. So I look more into it too. And it's, and it's pretty, it feels like it's like going so unnoticed and it's kind of a big deal what they're doing. <laughs> it's like, is, am yeah. I the only one or is it something that I'm not seeing it the way I'm supposed to be seeing it? Like, I'd love to hear more the about The reason it. it's going unnoticed is because it's a very low-level protocol-level concept that's, like, very technical. So, <laughs> yeah, MEV, just, I guess, for the, for the listeners who don't know, what Flashbots does is they do research and development for democratizing and minimizing MEV, which is major extractable value. And what that means is um, when you submit a transaction, it goes to the miners, and they put it in blocks, and the blocks go on the blockchain. When you submit that transaction, before it goes to the miners, it goes into what's called a transaction pool, and they line up all the transactions, and then whoever, whichever miner is elected to uh, you know, create the next block, they get to pick and choose transactions based on your transaction fee. So like, they might pick a transaction fee that's higher than someone else's. However, major extractable value is any value that can be extracted by the miner that may or may not be seen. And what I mean by that is... Maybe the miner sees a transaction that hasn't hit the chain yet that someone is attempting to buy a coin for one coin of Hudson token for $50 on Uniswap. So then uh, the miner will rearrange the transaction and or submit their own transaction ahead that says, oh, I'm going to undercut them, cause the price to go up on Uniswap, and then reap the rewards in that same block. Wow. So that's like kind of front-running. And then there's also – there's multiple kinds of MEV, but like front-running is one of them where you kind of go ahead of someone trading and then bump the price up to reap the arbitrage opportunity there. Um, there's many others. And before, what it was is if you were a large mining pool with the resources to hire a developer for Geth or a client that could do MEV extraction, they would just do it and no one was tracking it. And only the big mining pools could do it because they uh, had the had the software necessary and the money to hire the software developers. So these little mining pools were maybe getting more transaction fees, but this invisible arbitrage money, like this dark forest people call it, was going undetected and they were making a ton of money. So uh, now what Flashbots did was they said, well, (laughs) this is a problem that uh, we can't solve right now at the protocol level. There's not a way to solve it at the protocol level that we know of, and it'll take years of research. So instead, let's make it visible to everybody. So you can use Flashbots software to go in and uh, submit what's called bundles, 
which are like arbitrage opportunities and other things to miners and get rewards for the miners using your opportunities. It's all transparent. Anyone can become a searcher. The majority of mining pools on the network use Flashbots. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, we've been able to run a lot of good data. We have data products that take in statistics on this stuff. And it's incredibly interesting to see the proliferation of it and also to see the strategies um, some smart contracts and uh, projects are using to avoid this. Um, so there's stuff you can do at the smart contract level. Um, Flashbots also released uh, an API or an RPC interface. And what that means is you can go into MetaMask and you know how you can change from like mainnet yep. to Robston or whatever? You can change it to Flashbots RPC. And what that is, is that's a direct line to a miner. You kind of bypass the mempool in a way, and you don't get you don't get front run or MEV extracted. Wow. And so I guess the sound well, it sounds like it could or was a problem, but I mean I heard that Ethereum 2 isn't going to necessarily fix this uh MF issue or you know, people can extract those values. So is this going to just be something that we're going to have to live with and hope that it becomes commonly used and kind of like the uh, the entire network is just kind of dispersed using flashbox to, flashbots to kind of even the playing field? Yes, um, there are, for ETH2, I'm not as intimately familiar with the research, but there are some good ETH research forum threads. And also the flashbots Discord might have some discussion about this. Uh, basically... There are multiple ways you can set up the client and proposer, like block proposer separation uh, within ETH2 to make it more or less viable for Flashbots to work uh, democratically. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know all the details. I know that there that like during the recent trip that the uh, Ethereum core developers had, MEV did come up um, and Flashbots. We had uh, Flashbots people, a, a Flashbots person mm -hmm. there to kind of direct the discussion towards solutions. And so I think that it may not be in the first iteration of the merge, but uh, that that is being kept in mind for sure. Like it's not top priority, but it's being kept in mind so that the we have the most fair, most equitable solution to something that is really hard to fix. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like it. And I guess what motivated you to you know, join Flashbots, what was the factor? Is just, you know, doing a social good, helping out the community? Yeah. So when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, um, I thought to myself, I don't want to be on a DeFi or NFT project probably because I'm pretty anti, I don't like the greed in blockchain. And that's not to say every NFT and block and DeFi project is greedy, but like it's very hyper-capitalistic, yeah. which I don't really jive with. And like, uh, yeah, I just, I, I want to do something that's like solving a really important problem um, and also working with a team of really nice people who I get along with. Those were kind of my big things. Another factor that helped a lot was like a team that has um, diversity as an important trait um, and when hiring or when building out their team and community and keeping that in mind. And I felt like Flashbots had all three of those important problem, awesome people, diversity um, interest. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm part of the Flashbots Discord channel, so I'm definitely just trying to learn as much as I can, but yeah, it's super, super technical. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, I got yeah. <laughs> a lot to learn because I'm definitely understanding it at a high level view, but when you get into the code, it's like something else, but <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad to actually learn something that's going on in the protocol level versus just the trading level. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have all this going on. Like, what do you do for fun then? So what do you, <laughs> how do you, <laughs> how do you, uh, yeah. spend your time? So, um, 
I live in Texas right now with my spouse and three cats, and we like to uh, watch different shows. Um, I like to hang out with friends, go to bars. Um, what as far as like hobbies, I'm trying to find more hobbies. Something that we've that me, me, my spouse, and my therapist have evaluated is that Hudson, you've been doing blockchain for so long, you don't have hobbies. <laughs> you just have blockchain. You're just on Discord all the time and Twitter. And I'm like. You're right. You're calling me out. You're right. <laughs> so uh, I do have a um, a one a few things that I want to pick back up on is um, VHS to digital conversion. So like VHS mm-hmm. tapes. Um, I have like professional tape decks and like uh, time based correctors and stuff like that and software and like a really good computer to take my old home movies and other tapes and convert them into like YouTube files and st- yeah. files for YouTube and stuff. Um, also there's something called lost media wiki, uh, which is where people collect lost media, uh, meaning like maybe it aired once on TV and you can't buy it now. So it was never seen oh, again. Wow. So like I was going to dig through boxes of old VHS tapes that I find at garage sales and stuff and look for like maybe taped recordings of stuff that happened on TV, but were never found. And then people contribute to that wiki. So I'm like, oh, I have the, te- you know, equipment for that. And so um, I like to travel to, uh, yeah, but other than that, oh, I guess I play Overwatch. So yeah, that's fun. You know, Overwatch guy. That's pretty good. Yeah. I haven't, I played that once, but wasn't too into it. I'm definitely more of like a single player RPG type game. Cause I'm just like, give me the story. Yeah. I want to hear it and I want to actually beat it. Cause <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I spend too much time on video games. Like I have to stop. I, I also have a podcast uh, called Tabletop Squadron okay. uh, that I do with my spouse and two friends. It's a Star Wars Edge of the Empire role playing game podcast where I play a Wookiee. So basically, my friend Nick GMs it, uh, does, is the game master, and they build the story, and then we participate in kind of an improv-like way. And it's like a, and we have it as a podcast, and we've been doing it for like three and a half. Oh, that's years. cool. So you play the game kind of live, and just well, yeah, it. it's yeah. So it's like uh, it's Dungeons and Dragons, but but uh, Star okay. Wars. And that's a beautiful thing about the game, right? You can kind of just make whatever type of theme and scenario you want. Yeah. And I mean, it's not the same company as Dragons and Dungeons and Dragons, but like it's similar in that you're improving and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that's that's pretty good. Right now, but the new season of Bob's Burgers is on <laughs> and also What We Do in the Shadows. Those are both two excellent shows. Have you watched I've them? watched a few episodes of Bob's um, and I have not watched Into the Shadows yet. What We Do in the Shadows is awesome. Uh, you might watch the movie yeah. and then watch the show probably I knew the movie, because it's... But, okay. Yeah. Worth it. I'm Right now, I was actually watching Vikings the first time. Oh, so I was getting into that. I think my spouse Lilith watched that. And, uh, was there like a was there like a, just like a lot of gay characters, or am I thinking of the pirate show? I think you're thinking of the pirate show. I mean, oh, okay, there's a different no, there show. wasn't any gay characters there. Maybe one or two, but okay, I'm thinking of this. Someone, someone in the comments of your of your podcast is going to be like, <laughs> I know the show he's talking about. It's that pirate show. Yeah, like I, I need someone to find clarify it for us, please. Yeah, we need to know now. <laughs> Wow, you're spending so you're spending all this time in crypto and like you have all these great hobbies, but like you know what and for me it's always like I like to ask everybody, what is your crypto pet peeve? What kind of like drives you nuts in the industry that you wish would just change? Oh yeah. So a crypto pet peeve. So there there's a few things. One of them is that I feel like there is a lack of understanding around or I'll put it this way. I'm getting really annoyed lately at Bitcoin maximalists mm-hmm. who have a lack of understanding about the mechanisms and the governance and like 
how decisions are made around other coins. Um, there's like the assumptions that like Vitalik makes all the decisions and that we're centralized and I've heard you know, that. stuff like that. And and you also like everything. Um, the most recent, yeah, the most recent one, yeah, the pre-mine. The most recent one I heard was uh, that, and this is from Pete Rizzo, who's a friend of mine. And I need to talk to him more about this, but like he's now kind of pushing this narrative that Bitcoin will never hard fork again. And because of that, it has a distinct advantage over other coins because in Bitcoin, even if you disagree with the upgrades that are happening, they're all soft forks. So you don't lose your coins. Whereas if you are in Ethereum, you are coerced to upgrade or else you lose access to your coins. And I'm like, I can see the mental gymnastics you did there, but it's not the same. Like, you, if you're not going to innovate or allow for hard forks, I mean, Bitcoin wasn't immaculately conceived. They've had a ton of hard forks. Yeah, even early on, they so had it. And I remember, I remember being yeah, through them. Like, it's it's pretty yeah. common. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, and it's like they might have more stringent like ways to measure community sentiment about it and stuff, but like. To say that like they won't hard fork again, like Bitcoin's great as it is, it won't need a correction when there's like quantum crypto coming and stuff like that is silly. Yeah, and I'm definitely like I love Bitcoin, I love Ethereum, I love them both. I think they're each great for their individual reasons. But like I don't see one coin ever ruling them all. I don't think that's going to it's just yeah. not our human nature. Not that it can't happen, but humans like to compete. They like to try different things and experiment. It's just bound to happen. I'm definitely a multi-coin future kind of guy. Like I, I, my like, br like much in the future vision is going to be something like everybody, and this is going to sound silly and like technically not a blockchain, but like, I think it'll morph into this. I think everyone will have their own blockchain on their phone, that they will have a consensus mechanism we haven't dreamed of yet that will let you have only your friends be a part of it, but can share data from a main public chain electively. I'm excited for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like and it sounds like there's a lot of holes in what i just said but I'm, i guess i'm just trying i'm kind of thinking like as we have multi-chains and stuff like cosmos coming up that like allow for cross-chain uh swapping of assets and not in uh, knowledge and information and also like solving some composability problems it'll be a no-brainer to have these kind of bring back the concept of consortium chains where you have a subset of people who may not need the same security requirements as the main chain use a sub chain that does has is a little less strict mm -hmm. that's gonna be i mean i, I mean, think is like we you talk like that like as if it's going to be a long time before it happens but it just might not be things are moving so freaking fast nowadays it's hard to yeah that's true. especially with like different um blockchains like helium network where they're really trying to get people to run a node at home easily and like kind of like have proof of coverage where hopefully one day we won't even need to rely on isps anymore we kind of just run our own internet or intranet yeah i don't know how that's gonna work but that's exciting for me i think because most like most of like the arguments now it's that you know crypto is taking too much energy okay we're going to proof of stake okay but what happens if the internet and power go down then okay then yeah or you don't have anything but there's bigger problems to worry about if we don't have internet and power than money yeah yes absolutely yeah if the power goes it's like i want bitcoin for when the world collapses i'm like so what are you gonna access the satellite yeah. somehow I don't... what are you <laughs> what are you gonna do um yeah it's exciting but we'll see how that goes on um, um one of my last questions for you is you know what made you smile the most recently what just gave you a ear-to-ear -ear smile anything it doesn't even have to be crypto um i have a couple of answers probably one of them is 
seeing my cat be really cute. <laughs> we, we like petting our cat, and uh, that's always a good time. And uh, <laughs> I was on a Twitter Spaces last mm-hmm. night, and um, some people joined, and one of them was from a Discord group I joined recently called Web3 Baddies. Um, and uh, let me let me pull <laughs> up. What, the, what was said. So basically, yeah, it's the hot girl metaverse is what they call themselves. It's a place for girlies, gays, non-binaries, and baddies in Web3. Okay. So basically, it's like a place for underrepresented groups in crypto to kind of like collaborate, learn, meme around, stuff like that. Um, and I joined that, and it's really fun in there. It, everyone's really nice. Um, and so a few of them joined the spaces, and uh, one of them asked me, <laughs> Why did you join? Why did you join Web Three Baddies? <laughs> and I just and I was just I, I was just like, well, I'm bisexual as fuck, and uh, y'all seem really nice and uh, open to including me. <laughs> and so now I'm just quoted all I'm quoted on the Discord as saying I'm bisexual as fuck. Put a meme of you. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a meme. That's yep, funny. Yep. That's good. At least they're uh, nice about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, there. I mean, it actually like weirdly enough coming out because like i was kind of worried about coming out a couple years ago in crypto because like people can be jerks everyone was pretty supportive besides some people with frog icons who weren't real people Uh, like annons and even then like it didn't bother me that much like it wasn't it wasn't that thing i think having i think diversity is important and like people always like why aren't there any black people i'm like well you have to kind of lift the lift up their their voices and their content and stuff like that same thing with like any other diverse group mm-hmm. um or like why are there no women in crypto or you know any of that stuff lgbtq and um yeah you just you just have to like put out there like i support this i think diversity is important and um yeah put actions to your words that's yeah that's amazing that you're doing that and pushing that forward because yeah i also see a lack of that too and it's not because you know that doesn't exist. It's just that you know, we have to look for it. We have to actually keep our eyes open, not just follow the top 10 crypto influencers. There's plenty of more people contributing a lot of like awesome information. So, yeah. And and, and the other thing, this is something I came, I, I came to realize after a few years in crypto, the lack of speaking up for diversity in crypto, um, I don't believe is primarily ill intent. And the reason I say that is because many people in crypto are libertarians. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I talk to them about it or when I hear what they have to say about it, they say, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if whatever. Um, You can be in crypto. And it's like, that's great if you're that welcoming. But if you're not also taking into account the fact, you know, how much oppression that those groups have had in recent times, then being in this middle ground of like, I'm not outwardly say support i'm not outwardly supporting what you're doing but i'm not not supporting it it's kind of like this weird middle ground where it's like it's like a uh, lack of lack of care but it's not malicious mm-hmm. it's a weird thing it, it's it's like in order to to satisfy the libertarian ethos right. they they have to they they're not going to support you if it's not in their interest but they're not going to not support you either it's it's weird yeah i think it's uh yeah i guess it's just an easy way to say and do what you want i don't care but I just don't want to deal with it type of thing. Kind of that for some people. Others, it's like they don't realize that there's oppression. They're mm-hmm. just like, well, I've never seen it. But I'm like uh, – like the, the number of people where there, where we were talking about sexual assault – the sexual assault came up on Twitter or something, and people were like, well, I've been to many crypto conferences, and I've never seen it. I'm like, well, yeah, you're a white man. <laughs> 
Like you, of course you haven't seen it because you're not, you're not a target. And the reason you haven't heard probably is because you aren't following people who have talked about that. Or if you are friends with people who have been assaulted for one reason or another, they haven't told you because they don't feel that your personality or ethos is trustworthy enough to have that information and have a like a good response to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like a ton of people have told me all kinds of awful shit from crypto conferences and no one like believes any they're like no one's gonna believe me. And I'm like, you're probably right. Because oh, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it's 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 messed up. But there's there's some stuff happening to help with that and um I, I think I've heard of some stuff behind the scenes where there's gonna maybe be like code of conduct at com- crypto conferences um eventually and uh, yeah that's just something I'm kind of passionate about where I'm just like what yeah. uh. <laughs> enough is enough right it's like come on yeah that's but yeah otherwise um other than that I I'm feeling really really excited about the future of ethereum um in particular especially after the core developer thing that just happened mm-hmm. I kind of have always hung around the protocol level stuff. So beyond the dApps and the use cases and kind of mind share that's coming into crypto and all the devs we're stealing from Google and Facebook, um, like we have uh, yeah yeah oh no, really I'm not, but <laughs> oh 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 I thought I was like no, you no. are okay uh, so so uh, yeah other than than uh, all that the protocol level stuff's also like it's hard to see because like if you don't it's kind of boring sometimes but it's incredibly exciting and everyone should be really really excited for the merge coming up next year oh yeah i'm definitely excited for that i think it's going to be like a huge from what it looks like it seems like the ethereum team is really taking their time with it which is what's most important working out all the kinks and bugs mm-hmm. so i'm excited for them i think it's gonna go smoothly and yeah i mean i'm also excited for what you're doing what you're working on definitely will continue to follow you and you know cheer you on as you go on thanks this has been one of the better podcasts <laughs> i've recorded on and for anyone listening whose podcast i've been on where i've also said that that was true for you too <laughs> basically my my outline is if a podcast lets you kind of like talk about who you are as a person and they're and they're you know chill like i i love it so you, you this is this is a great yeah, podcast. wholesome crypto is about <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> hudson i appreciate your time no problem thank you so much see you, everyone